So I want to, because uh, I know there's a number of, of, of guests this morning. We just are, again, really uh, happy that you're here. Uh, so there's lots of different people that are, are coming up to the front. And uh, so I want to just make sure that uh, you know who's who. So my name is Bill. I'm the assistant pastor here. Uh, for those of you, just again for clarification, our lead pastor, Duran Gray, is on sabbatical. So uh, we're trusting that uh, all is well. We haven't heard. That's good news. No news is good news. That's what we're trusting for. So I just, uh, what's going to happen each week is that either someone like myself or Simon, who's our intern, will come up and just uh, before introducing the speaker, we'll, we'll maybe just uh, uh, do a few um, updates on, on different matters, but we just want to be able to also um, just pray for the guest speaker. This morning we have David Wood from uh, Coquitlam Alliance. He's a, a very uh, endearing friend to Hillside, and we are blessed to have him with us this morning. But before he comes up, I just want to highlight a couple of things. Um, we want to uh, encourage you, continue to encourage you about the f uh, fasting and prayer initiative that's going on. The, there is a sign-up out on the, for out of the foyer that we want to you to take a part in. It looks like it's getting filled up. Um, don't worry about double dipping, okay? If you're uh, looking at just the one spot that's been taken, fill it in. If that's the day for you, we definitely want you to uh, take advantage of that. We are going to have uh, a uh, helpful guidelines, uh, suggestions for August for around prayer and fasting that'll be available for next week starting for, for August. So that's coming up. Now, um, we've heard about summer nights and I just want to highlight one particular event that's coming up in August that's rather new uh, to Hillside. And if you, and by the way, I want to also compliment um, some of our staff on putting together a wonderful uh, display out there in the foyer of summer nights and you can see it back there so we're really trying to highlight this so let me just highlight one event that's coming up that I will have more information sign up down the road it's called open mic so these people that have some talent uh, this is your opportunity we're gonna see the courtyard out here we're gonna just turn that into a little coffee house and we're gonna invite people uh, to uh, share their talent. Maybe you have, maybe you're a stand-up comic. You see, you're probably going to music, right? You're probably going to the music side. Look, we could go with the stand-up comic as well. We are going to vet this a little bit. In other words, we're not going to just, <laughs> just exactly, you know, we're going to have a little bit of discretion around that piece. However, that being said, we want to encourage you. Now, this is going to take a little bit of encouragement to take a step out, but we're going to have sign up for that, so just keep that in mind. And I also want just to highlight one other uh, item of prayer, uh, praise. Um, we've, uh, I guess, made the need a, a, about a couple of weeks regarding a, knee, a car for um, the Asafs. They are driving a, a Metrix, and uh, he's getting it to work every day, so thumbs up on, on the, yep, good. So we want to thank uh, you for praying. We want to thank the person who donated that car uh, to this office. It just was a wonderful gift. So uh, that is some updates for you. So David, want to come up and I'll just pray for you and uh, we'll just enjoy hearing what God has to say through you today. So Lord, we thank you that we can be able to uh, hear your word now. And we thank you for your servant David who has come to share and just bring uh, a fresh word to us. We pray for uh, ears to hear and uh, a courage to take what has been said and put it into practice. Bless him in Jesus' name. Amen.
I like this. You got a pulpit and everything. This is good. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Um, just a, a note of clarification. I've lived near Chengdu in the past, and it is a very cool place, but it's not a cool place. It's very warm. Um, so just if you are going, it's, it's, it's quite warm, but it's awesome. Um, one other thing, I just want to give a shout out to Hillside. I love Hillside. You know that. I love Hillside. I love coming here. But I also want to specifically give a shout out to you guys for taking care of your senior pastor. Right? Giving him a sabbatical, giving him a chance to get away and to rest and so they can come back refreshed and, and renewed. And I know Derwin's been here for like 87 years or something like that. So, I mean, that's good that you do that. So I just want to tell you, like just from an outsider, that, that, that's impressive. I'm, I'm impressed with you guys. So thanks for taking care of your pastor. We are doing a series on uh, parables, and so we are going to look at one of the parables Jesus gives in Luke chapter 12. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 12, if it's on your phone or your device, or somehow get to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to begin, um, actually I'm going to begin in verse 8. Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to begin in verse 8. So Jesus is speaking here. This is what he says. And he says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you ought to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Then someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus, this is your word. We are your people. You are not a philosophy. You're not a worldview, but you are personal and you are present with us. We have sung your praises. This is your word, and your word is life. Speak into our hearts, we pray. Soften hard hearts, open up our ears, open up our eyes to receive from you and then to have the courage to respond to what you say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 
So keep your Bibles open. What's going on in this passage? Well, the context is important. Jesus is teaching, which he often does. Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching really important stuff, which he often does, which he always does. And he's teaching about the kingdom of God. He's teaching about the work of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's teaching about what his mission is all about. And he's calling people to return to the Father, the author of all faith. And Jesus is teaching this. And this is big stuff. It's important stuff. And Jesus is in the middle of teaching. And something unexpected happens. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you're kind of gathered with some friends and everyone together, you're all talking about one topic. And so maybe you're gathered together and you're talking about the World Cup last week and you're saying, wow, what a game, you know, Croatia gave it a shot. They were so close, right? I don't think Griezmann, I don't think that was a foul. Um, I'm just speaking hypothetically. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't think it was a foul, but Mbappe, wow, what a cool name and what a cool player. He did so well. And then everybody's, yeah, and then Croatia did well and it's close. And then somebody in the group goes, yeah, and what about Trump and Putin? It'd be like, well, okay, that's important, but that's not really what we're talking about. It's kind of what's going on in this passage. Jesus is talking, and he's, and he's talking about the kingdom of God, and, and, and all of a sudden, some guy, probably not really paying attention, just says, hey, teacher, tell my brother to share our inheritance with me. Like, that's what's happening. He brings up the question about finances. Now, on one hand, this guy does recognize Jesus' authority, even if he wasn't listening to his teaching. Because it was common for you to ask a rabbi to intervene in legal matters, and so he asked Jesus, he says, you know, to tell his brother, who's most likely also in the crowd, to share the inheritance with him. So how does Jesus respond it's interesting. He doesn't get sidetracked. That would have been the temptation, right? He doesn't get drawn into a domestic dispute. What does he say? What does he say? He says, um, he says, man. No, he just says, man, referring to the guy. Man. He says, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? He doesn't get sidetracked. He just asks, he says, why are you asking me this? See, the thing about Jesus is that he discerns right away what the issue is behind this guy's question. It has nothing to do with an inheritance or inheritance law. Jesus saw right away the heart condition of the guy asking the question. And I think we should pause here because this is really important for us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we got to get this. Too many times, Christians are answering questions that nobody's asking. And we miss the question often behind what people are saying. That's what I find. And sometimes, um, a person will come up and they'll ask you a question, and we'll be really quick to answer the question, but we'll really miss out on the question behind the question. So I, I remember one time, I think I've shared this before, after I was preaching, a woman came right up. She was really mad at me. And she just came come right at me and she asked me, she says, where in the Bible does it say this about sexuality? And, these? and she starts just laying in on me and asking about sexuality and what the Bible says. And, 
And I could have answered the question. I could have said, well, you're asking this question. It says here and here and here. But I didn't. And this is one of the few times I got it right. But I discerned that there was a question behind the question. And so before I said, I can answer your question. But let me, before I do that, let me just ask you this. Why is this question so important to you? Well, she started to share about a heartache with her son and some of the decisions he's been making. And if I had gone ahead and answered the question that I thought she was asking, I would have missed the real question, right? And Jesus sees that. Here's this question, or here's this, you know, this request, but he discerns what's going on behind the request, the heart condition. So what is the heart condition behind this man's question about the inheritance? Well, it's, it's very clear. Jesus says he, the, the, the assumption is this, is that the value of your life is connected to what you own. The value of one's life is intimately connected to the amount of stuff you own. <laughs> so the Bible kind of has a lot to say to our world today. Jesus says, watch out. Watch out. And he warns them, he warns them both about all kinds of covetousness. Literally means all kinds of grasping ambition. And Jesus' point is this, is that no one will ever find happiness, will never find rest for their soul or peace of mind or true life through what they possess. Now to underline this point, what does Jesus do? Yeah, he does what he loves to do. He tells a story. And he lays out the story. He tells the story of a rich man who was a landowner, who had money, who had a knack of making even more money. So if I was to put it in local terms, here you have a man who in the 80s bought waterfront property in Port Moody. Right? Or here's a person during the 80s bought acreage on Westwood Plateau. So he has a knack of making money. He invests the money shrewdly. He knows how to make money. And from a human perspective, everything this rich man does in the parable makes good business sense. Warren Buffett would be proud of this guy, right? Because of strategic investments, he made so much money, he had so much stuff that he needed a larger warehouse, bigger storage facility to store his stuff. Seems wise. By today's standards, this person could turn around and write a best-selling book. He could write Farming for Freedom, Early Retirement Strategies. We could listen to his MP3s. And he could invest. He could teach us how to invest our money wisely. But from God's perspective, this man is a fool. Why is this man a fool? Well, two reasons. One is he never saw beyond himself. He never saw beyond himself. And the issue, again, is always found in the heart. Now, let me ask you this. When you look at this person who's making all these investments, who does he consult when he's making his investments? Who does he consult? Himself. I mean, and I'm going to read this. Notice how many times you hear the pronoun I or me or myself or those sorts of things. Listen. 
He says, he tells the story. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So who does he consult? Himself. And so he has all this stuff, and two things never cross his mind. One, it never crossed his mind that all that he had is a result of God's grace. It's interesting, in the passage, when Jesus is telling the story, he says, the land produced plentifully. The land produced plentifully. It never crossed his mind that this is all God's grace. Did he make it rain? Does he create the sun, this man? No. But in his mind, it's my crops, my stuff, my goods, my surplus. And that's the other problem with this guy, is that he has a surplus. Now, in the Greco-Roman world, it was understood that if you had lots, it was always a zero-sum game. If you had lots, that means somebody else has gone without. And it never crossed this person, this person's mind, because the expectation in the first century in the Greco-Roman world, if you had lots, other people didn't have as much, and so the onus is on you to take excess and give it to the poor. To help others out. Never cross his mind. Never cross his mind. He produced the crops. He brought in the surplus. It was all to be used by himself. And so he never saw beyond himself. That's the first problem. The second problem is he never saw beyond his world. Because what matters to this guy? What's he, what's he hoping to do? Freedom 55, baby. That's what he's looking for. He wants to retire. He's, all he could see is his impending retirement. And, and, and coming to the point where he can have a good long rest from his labors. And so all he could see is his world and where he was going. And where you fix your attention will actually shape the direction of your life, right? Now, I've had the thrill in the last little while of teaching my eldest two how to drive. <laughs> that is so stressful. Anybody get, it is the most stressful thing to get in that car and, and, and to sit beside my daughter so last week, she's driving, right? <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but we, we, we get to the stoplight, a busy intersection, and, and the car is still moving. I said, Hannah, what are you doing? And she stopped. She goes, oh. She goes, I just thought I could ease forward into the intersection. I said, Hannah, I said, the light's red. Oh, but I, I said, no, 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 no. I said, Red always means stop. <laughs> there's not, a, there's not a, a situation where red means, yeah, you can still go. I said, it always means stop, Hannah. Always. Always. Oh, okay. And I'm like, I thought you knew that. Um, <laughs> let's back up. <laughs> Introduce the colors, red and green. 
But I just, and, and, and teaching your kids to change lanes, it's where you fix your attention, right? And so, you know, you can change lanes. Whoa, okay, okay, that's the lane, Han we're, we're done. Let's not go on to the other sidewalk. Um, <laughs> so what I notice at this stage of the learning process, it's very, I have to go kind of into like Zen mode. I just like, okay, I, I can't get really upset. Just, okay, yeah, you can stop now. Yeah, okay, the light's green for the last 30 seconds. You can go now. Hear those cars honking behind you? That means go. Um, but I, I learn that where they fix their attention, that's where they drift, right? And, and it, it takes time to learn. But here you have a guy, where he fixes his attention, that's where he drifts. And the, the rich fool's eyes are fixed downwards on what he wants and his own retirement plans. And so what does he do? He's got lots of stuff. His eyes are fixed downwards. He tears down his old barn and he goes and he builds a bigger warehouse to put more stuff. Now, that's what we do in our, in our world today. I mean, what do we do with our stuff? What do we do today with our stuff? We put it into storage. First month is a dollar and then you pay lots after that. Do you know, just in the United States, that's the only stats I, I came across. Do you know how much money storage facilities make in a year? What the kind of industry it is? $40 billion industry. It's a $40 billion industry. It's so huge that there's TV shows <laughs> made about storage facilities. We have so much stuff. I was thinking about this this morning. I was thinking... When I went to York University, when I was just still a teenager, and I took all my earthly possessions, it fit in the back of a Honda Civic. <laughs> and most of it were records. Um, <laughs> those are like MP3s, but bigger. Um, just trying to contextualize to the younger folk here. Um, $40 billion a year industry. Okay, we got so much stuff. And so with our eyes fixed downwards, what do we do? Well, we invite our financial advisor over to look over our portfolio. And we ask the question, how long do I need to work? How much do I need to have stored in my storage before I can finally do what? Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Get an RV. Right? So this rich fool that we're introduced to, what does he do when he's making decisions? Does he pray? No. Does he look to the needs around him? No. Does he seek the advice of a friend? No. In fact, for this rich fool, he fills all of his space. He even gets to the point, I find this quite funny, and I think, you know, if you read the parables, Jesus got a great sense of humor. This, this rich fool, he even speaks to himself. Like he prays to himself. And he says, you know, he, he speaks to his soul. He says, soul? <laughs> I love that. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> I 
He only speaks to himself. Now, I don't know about you, but if I look to myself, if I say, soul, do I want another donut? (laughs) Chances are my soul will be pretty agreeable. We're told that this is a way to make decisions today. I mean, if people talk to you and they'll say, you know, hey man, it's your life. It's your life. You seize control of your life. What is it that you want in life? Go out there and get it. Your future is in your hands. You are the master of your own destiny. They're your barns, your fruits, your goods, your portfolio, your investments, your retirement. And this rich fool, like so many people today, they see everything they have, they see themselves as owners rather than stewards. And he felt, this rich fool felt that he needed so much goods. He was so close, so close that once he filled this warehouse, he would have enough stuff to finally relax, to eat, to drink, and be merry. It's only one problem. You didn't have any more time. You didn't have any more time. He didn't even, he didn't have a single day. In a single stroke, by God, this man loses everything. And God says to him, you fool. This night, your soul that you're so busy talking to, this night, your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? And in the end, it was shown that all the control that this guy thought he had over his life, all his stuff, all of his investments, all of his future, all of this stuff was an illusion, it was missed. Something that seems so important was nothing. And if you ever read uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll know at the beginning it says, meaningless, meaningless. Or in other translations, vanity, vanity. What it literally means is a mist that disappears. He had no control over any of this. All his work, all of his possessions, it's going to belong to somebody else. Or simply rot away. Now, none of this, this person took into consideration. And Jesus is saying to these guys, oh, you want to split your inheritance? You don't even know if you're going to be alive tomorrow. You're so focused on your inheritance, you're missing the point. Such a man, according to Jesus, and he uses strong language, is a fool. Now, you have to realize the biblical understanding of fool has nothing to do with mental capacity. Like a foolish person is not someone who's, who's, who's dumb or anything like that. A foolish person in the Bible is someone who has moral deficiency. A fool, to put it in today's terms, a fool is a practical atheist. It's someone who lives their life as if God does not exist. They may believe in God. They may believe all the right things. They may believe the creed. They may believe the Nicene Creed. They may get everything right. 
but they live their life as if God does not matter or exist. What does it say in Psalm 14? A fool says in his heart, there is no God. A fool lives as if everything in his life, including his own life or her own life, is what's theirs to possess. I think the way of the fool in this passage is the way of our modern world. What is our modern world built on? I think today is built on two things, fear and anxiety. There's lots of fear, lots of anxiety in our world today. I've been taking the SkyTrain because it's now close to my house. And I notice on the SkyTrain just people, just this sense of anxiety and restlessness in people's faces. People are tired. They're weary. They're looking for work or they're going back and forth to work. They're trying to attain. They're trying to re- achieve, to build up, to retain and have enough to one day, hopefully, to relax, to eat, drink, and be merry. Lotto 649 says, you know, what's the goal of your life is to someday, someday you can fish with your buddies for the rest of your life. And we buy into the lie that what I have, what I have determines my value and even my identity and my quality of life. And our world tells us that you can have it all. That you can have enough stuff to make you happy. If your circumstances are just right, you can be happy. But here's the thing. All this only produces anxiety and fear. You think about it. Here in the West, we have more stuff than we've ever had before, right? $40 billion industry, stuff. We got stuff. We got so much stuff. And yet, which population struggles with fear and anxiety more than anyone else? And loneliness is the West. Because the problem is, is that no matter how much stuff you have, you're always going to be anxious because somebody has more. Someone's ahead of you, or they're living the life that you want to live. And that's for the danger of social media, right? Because it's all image control. Have you ever gone on, on, on Facebook, on the Facebook, uh, or on Instagram or whatever, and you scroll along, and all you're going to feel is terrible. Because you're inside scrolling and people are outside and fishing and doing all sorts of fun things. It's like, oh, why aren't I doing any of these things? And social media is just, it's just tailored to create a sense of FOMO, a fear of missing out. Right? And so, I don't know about you. I've never scrolled and felt, huh, that was a great devotion of time. Have you? I've never scrolled and, and, oh, wow, that's awesome. All my friends are having fun. Good. No. I just feel like, okay, maybe I'm missing out or, or I need more or, or something's not right. And sometimes we get stuff and then you begin to grow afraid because you want to protect what you've gotten. Okay, what if we have another 2008? Are my portfolio, am I invested in the right way that things are not going to collapse if another 208 hits? But there's so much that's outside of my control. And I think it's tempting, and it's tempting to try to take control over our lives. But here's the thing. What lies behind this desire to control our lives, to control what we have and to protect what we have? What, what, what's behind that? What do you think? There's fear... 
I think it's a lack of trust in God. We don't trust God. Now, it's no surprise. What does Jesus say right after this passage? It's interesting. Right after this passage, Jesus teaches us, he says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Right? What you're going to eat, about your body, what you put on, for life is more than food. It all goes together. Now, why don't we trust God? Well, I think we don't trust God because we don't think he is as loving and good as his son says he is. If we trusted the Father, if we knew how much he really does love us, if we realize that that really at the end of the day is all that matters, well, I think that would be a game changer. If I know my starting point that I'm deeply loved, that I'm deeply loved by the author of the universe, no less, that nothing can separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ. If I know that, not just here, but here, well, then what do I need to be afraid of? Like, okay, so somebody doesn't like me or somebody didn't like my post. Who cares? <laughs> like, if I know I'm loved, and I know that because of Jesus Christ, because of his life, death, and resurrection, that death will not have the final word, but life will be the final word, eternal life, then what am I afraid of? Why am I so busy trying to protect and trying to build? And it makes all the difference. So the question is, do you trust him? Now, you know what the right answer is. Yes, I trust him because I'm a good Christian. I ought. But ask yourself, do you really trust him? And if not, why not? But I think there's one more issue that lies at our base of our anxieties and fears. It's an unspoken assumption. Now, nobody really believes this, but we live as if we believe this. I think there's the assumption that you and I will never die. I think people think, oh, I'll just keep on living. Yeah, other people get sick. It's not going to happen to me. When I, uh, when I worked with youth um, years ago, um, I worked in a, in a Chinese church and I uh, worked with youth and they were all focused on, you know, going to school, getting good education, different things, right? So I'd often sit down, I'd, I'd, I'd do this kind of, I thought it was kind of fun, they didn't find it fun. I'd say, so uh, where are you going to go to school? Where are you going to go to school? What's that? Waterloo. I went there every October. Um, there's, there's a big festival there in the October, um, <laughs> back in the day. So I would ask people, I'd say, where are you going to go? Waterloo, what are you going to study? Math and physics. Math and physics. Wow, man, you're smart. That's awesome. Good for you. And it's a great school. But then I would ask people, I, I, would, I would ask, I said, okay, what are you going to do after that? I won't, I won't use you. I was, I'm tempted to, but I won't. <laughs> I would ask the question, I said, what are you going to do after that? Well, I hope to graduate. Okay, you're going to graduate in math and physics. Okay, what do you hope to do? I'm going to be, you know, a math and physics expert. <laughs> I mean, you can do anything, right? Um, and then what are you going to do? Well, I hope to get a job. Cool. I said, what are you going to do, like, relationally? Oh, yeah, I hope to meet somebody. I said, when would you like to get married? And they said, well, I'd like to be married before I'm 30. In Chinese culture, it's always before you're 30. Um, and I said, cool. I said, and then what are you going to do? Well, well I ho hope to work and have a good job. And I said, then what? I said, well, I hope to have kids. I said, that's awesome. How many kids? Oh, three, four, I don't know. 
All right, cool. I said, uh, and then what? And then they started looking a little perplexed. Well, then I just keep working, I guess. I said, oh, cool. I said, I said and then what? Oh, um, I guess maybe retire? I said, cool, yeah, I hope you can retire. I said, and then what? Well, I hope to... Well, then they usually say, and then I hope to serve the church. I'm like, okay, so you wait till you retire. Okay, good. <laughs> Thanks for stepping up. Um, <laughs> serve the church. Okay, that, no, and that's good. Good. On I said, uh, and then what? And they look at me. I said, then what are you going to do? I don't know. I said, think about it. Then what are you going to do? Die? I said, yeah. Then you're going to die. I said, that's your life. Is that how you're going to spend your life? Because you are going to die. We're all going to die. Mortality rate still stands at 100%. Right? <laughs> We're all going to die. So how are you going to live your life? I think we live in a world where we, we know we're going to die, but we don't think we're going to die. There's an old Spanish proverb that says, there are no pockets in a shroud. I like that. Yeah, that's good. So let me just conclude by asking you this. How do we avoid the way of the rich fool? How do we avoid all this? Well, one, I think we have to have open hands. Yes, we work hard to produce all the necessities and, and we work hard. And, but don't see your life and don't see your work as a, as, a, as a means to secure and control your life against all possible calamities. It won't happen. It won't happen. Stuff happens in our life. It's all out of our hands. And if you think it's in your own hands, you're going to live your life with fear and anxiety. Secondly, recognize and live in the reality that our lives are in God's hands and we can trust him because he is good. He is good. Now there's stuff that happens that might not make sense and we're going to have asked lots of questions after we die but we have to trust that he really is as good as the son says he is. And so we live our life rich towards God and his eternal kingdom purposes. Why? Because they're eternal and they will last. Right? Jesus says that. He says in that whole second section, he says, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you, right? He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is what? There your heart will be. Now I have a, I have a um, financial advisor. He's been my advisor for a number of years, and he's very good. He's a good guy. And uh, so one day, about a year ago, he came to our house. Once a year, he comes over and he just updates us on our the portfolio of a pastor, which is not very big. Um, but it's a, it's a portfolio. And so I asked him the question. Right? I'm 52 this year. So I asked him the question. I said, Patrick, 
how much <laughs> would I need to have in this portfolio before, I didn't say so I can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I said more, so, so that I can retire. How much should I have? You know, give me a rough, what's the target, right? And he looks at me, and you know what he said to me? <laughs> he said, he said, uh, Pastor David, he goes, if you weren't a Christian, he goes, I'd give you a number. He goes, I can give you a number. He goes, but you and I both know. He's a Christian guy. Right? He goes, you and I both know. One, as Christians, we don't retire. Secondly, you know very well that all that we have can disappear like this, and we don't live for our portfolios. We live rich unto God. You, you know that. <laughs> I thought... That took a bit of moxie for him to say that to me, right? And I'm like, yeah, of course, of course I knew that. <laughs> but I looked, I said, I said, thank you for saying that. Because I could get my head around, okay, when, when can I relax, eat, drink, and be merry? Now, there's nothing wrong with retirement. Don't, don't give me, but it's, that's not what we put our hope in. And I was so glad he called me on that. Now, I'm just going to leave you with uh, one image. Um, you know, I always have to talk about church history. There's one guy in the 18th century, his name's George Whitfield. He's a famous evangelist. And, but you know what he did? He would preach anywhere. He'd preach anywhere. But one of the places where he preached was a place called Kennington Commons. It was, it was, a, it was an execution site. So in England in the 18th century, it was very easy. There was very common for people to be executed for petty crimes. And Whitfield, what he would do is he would go wherever, and, and whenever somebody was being executed, it became a big event. The rich would show up, and they would buy oranges, and they would eat snacks, and they would watch people being hanged. It was like entertainment back in the 18th century. And Whitfield went there, and he'd regularly go there. And you know what he'd do? He would, some, the person who was going to die, who was going to be hanged, his coffin would be there. Whitfield would stand on the coffin and he preached to all the rich cats eating their food. He goes, he goes yeah, this guy's going to die. He's going to die. But every one of you is going to die. Every one of you is going to end up in this coffin. And are you ready to meet Jesus? Took a lot. And there's a famous, uh, you probably can't see it that well. It's, it, the picture is meant to mock. But you see Whitfield, this larger-than-life Whitfield, and all these people hanging. But that's what he would do. Because he knew, he knew these guys, these rich guys, they thought, oh, I'm going to live forever. I got all this guy. He says, you're going to end up in the same place. And all the things you have, you can't bring with you. So how are you going to live your life? I mean, Whitfield, he lacked no courage, that guy. And I often think of myself, I often think, what difference does it make when I say I have faith in God? What difference does it make in terms of how I live my life? There needs to be a difference. So I want to encourage you to live your life with open hands. Don't grasp. Seek his kingdom and trust the Father that he, his desire for you is that you would live the life that he has created you and redeemed to live. A life that is full of life and not fear and anxiety. And I think that's what Jesus teaches us in this parable this morning. Okay? So let's pray. Jesus, this is your word. May we learn from it. 
We're so consumed with anxiety and fear and we do not want to live in that place. We want to live in a life that's, that's trusting, that's not grasping, recognizing that everything we have is a gift from you, that you are good and that we can trust you. And so help us to live a life where we seek your kingdom, that our treasure is in you. That's our desire and we lay that before you and, yeah, and speak into our hearts what, what needs to change. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me leave you uh, with Paul's words to the church in Philippi. He calls us to rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone, for the Lord is near. Friends, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your, your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart, will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. So whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, there's anything worthy of praise, you and I, we need to think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you all. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in his grace. Amen.